record hello everybody welcome back to my podcast and i'm here with the famous dr paul that i keep talking about and for now we are going to give him um a nickname he's called mr sweet tooth <laughs> just consider him mr sweet tooth we'll share about that so we're going to have that conversation uh, about fibroid with him and um yeah listening uh we'll definitely keep going on and have so many other conversations but yeah thank you for tuning in hi paul uh, hi martha <laughs> so my name is paul just simply that and i've gotten a nickname sweet too we'll <laughs> you are a sweet <laughs> <laughs> we'll go with that for now so yeah i'm here with martha today she had some questions some queries about basically fibroids, I believe. And I'm just here to give a bit of insight on what to look out for, what your treatment options can be. And yeah, any questions you can always give them to Martha. And she will relay them to me, I believe. You know some people thought you were Dr. Paul Kasenene. Uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like said no, 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 no. It's, no. it's like Paul Wandera, not Paul Kasenene. It's like two different Paul. Paul Kasenene is a nutritionist, I think. Yeah. And yeah. I am Paul Wandera. Let's see. So, we start the conversation. Guys, and now me, my first question that the conversation has said with is a fibroids cancerous. Okay, so you see, well, fibroids are tumors. Uh, any tumor can either be cancerous or non-cancerous. Uh, these, for fibroids, these are usually non-cancerous tumors. They are benign tumors. They have a potential to become cancerous, but it's usually very minimal. No, so, so, so like, out of every 20 women, one can... Uh, I'm not so conversant with the statistics. The statistics, but, but, yeah, but there, is, there a is a possibility of it turning cancerous. They can become adenomyosarcomas. So those, that's the term for the cancer, when a benign tumor becomes a cancerous tumor. But about 90% of them, actually 90 to 95% of them are usually benign. Do you know how many, I hate statistics. What if I'm in the 5% that it becomes cancerous? That's uh, well, too much. See, Statistics is like that. Uh, sometimes you're on the lucky end, sometimes you're on the unlucky end. You fall within those few minorities. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But most of the fibroids, most fibroids are actually benign. They're non-cancerous. Non-cancerous, yeah. yeah. Oh, and then, because I, 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 I realize like, they become dead tissue. Uh, they will Once. become dead tissue, but that usually takes a bit of time. Okay, when the blood supply has been cut off, they've been in a particular place and have blocked off the supply of blood to them. So that is what causes it to become a dead tissue. But that is usually very rare. Okay. Okay, no, now, no, no, Paul. Yeah. What if? I promise, <laughs> I've seen like tissue mm-hmm. come out of me. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't look like a clot, it's like proper tissue. I think I've seen dead tissue. Uh, they, there's no chance of them coming out to... Not necessarily. You see, 
depending on the ability of I your, think you're very low right now. I okay, depending <laughs> <laughs> sorry, depending on the ability of your take, I'm gonna show you something. You guys is showing me an image of No, depending on the ability or the location. You see we have those that are located which are stocked kind of uh, fibers. These are fibers that have a stem of some sort mm. and they are hanging out in the uterus. Those ones have a possibility of wearing and coming out mm. through the vagina and when you have your menses, it, there is a possibility of that tissue to also come out. These ones have come out. Yes. Now that increases the chance that you may possibly be having the ones that are stocked. They're just occupying space within the uterus. But you see there are different kinds of uh, fibroids. There are those that are within the endometrium. There are those that can be at the cervix. There are those that can be mucosal, subserosal. So just the location is what matters, what will actually present most of the symptoms that you can experience. But yes, tissue can come out. I've seen tissue come out, I promise. I've seen, and, and I've told you. Now, I'm going to share a picture. Okay. You see this kind of thing? Now oh, this wow. is a submucosal fibroid, but some of them can actually be located in a space that is I occupied. I think you're still low. <laughs> Guys, I have to like move the mic for poor. Ah, okay, no, I, I can, can speak louder actually. I think I can speak louder. Yes, yeah. me, I, I'm hearing him, but yeah. you so, need you to see, hear him. When you look at this picture, mm -hmm. oh, you my can goodness. see that tissue has the ability to come out. Yeah. Okay? It can wear up and come out. Yeah, you know how like you do that www and you can't just draw something well that's that's the thing I'll, I'll send it on my instagram and you guys can see it on my twitter so that you can see but yes. so now what i'm going to do is let's talk about for example what they are basically and what mm. what symptoms you can experience uh, for fibroids usually these are space occupying lesions mm. But depending on their location, that can also cause you to feel the symptoms. Sometimes you feel pressure in your lower abdomen. That mm. is dependent on the size. And you see, if it keeps on enlarging, that fibroid keeps on growing, it will press on your blood. Mm. So you have episodes of really wanting to burn urine because now the capacity of your blood is being reduced. reduced. So you have to keep on going out, going out. Then when it comes to your menses, because see, these are tumors, they are benign tumors, but they are, they respond to the hormones that you release during your cycle. Mm. So now, dependent on that, you can either have severe low abdominal pain and cramping, mm. you can have heavy menses, you can actually, in some instances, in severe instances, it can actually cause a failure of ovulation, okay? Or they can even cause infertility. That is a possibility. Something we both know I've been battling with. <laughs> so, usually that can happen. Then there's also another thing that I, I read today. Uh, when someone is examining you, when the doctor is examining you, you see, there's something we call the bimanual exam. Hmm. You come and say, Oh, I feel a lot of pain at this time. Then we'll ask you, At what point are you in your cycle? When you're closer to ovulation, that is when you release quite a lot of hormones. So you can have a bit of cramping. Mm -hmm. But if someone examines a biomania exam, will tend to show a bit of tenderness in your lower abdomen. You feel, you can actually feel the muscles themselves. Mm -hmm. yes. I think I can feel my mass sometimes. Yeah, see, it depends Every on the morning. 
Literally, not necessarily my, every no, bone no, and shell. No, when my uh-uh. blood is full, I yeah, feel. when your blood is full, that is possible. Mm. Okay, but in most people, you see, there are people who have fibroids for years and not know that they have them. Mm. In the majority of people, they are asymptomatic. You have no symptoms in most people, and by then, when you find out that you have fibroids, it's usually what we call an incidental finding. You didn't know you had them. You go for a check. They do a scan and they just see it. Okay, so they're usually asymptomatic. One thing that causes them to become symptomatic: one, your hormone profile; two, their location; and three, their rate at which they're growing. Okay, so those are some things. It's it's interesting to find out like so many women cannot know they have them yeah. and the next thing they know, they, know they, have, they them. have them. Because I'll give you an example. If when you're in hospital and it's for example a gynecology ward, um most of the patients we get actually do not know that they have fibroids. Even as we are doing scans, reading through the scans, we may not be able to see them. But for example you've been having persistent bleeding or heavy bleeding and they advise you to have a surgery. That's when they find out that hmm, you have this yeah. kind of fibroids, you have this kind of fibroids. Okay. Yeah. There are quite a number of risk factors for those fibroids. But the one thing that we have seen in medicine is they're more common in black people. <laughs> I feel like it's, it's <laughs> Those are some of the risk factors. Just being a black woman, yes, you yeah. have a two to three percent chance of chance having, having fibroids. Yeah. That one is definitely there. And then also another risk factor is if you started your menses early, early menage. That's a risk factor. Then I think thirteen is the normal age. Now there are people who start their menses at nine. Oh, okay. About eight. Ow. Okay, okay, so okay. we call that early menage. Then there are people who actually never give birth, newly married. Hmm. You, you've never given but that is also a risk factor yes. okay okay <laughs> ladies if you're like me above 25 <laughs> there is a risk factor then we have also polycystic ovarian syndromes then we also have hypertension and diabetes mm-hmm. all those can predispose you to that but the exact cause of fibroids is unknown these are just things that can put you at risk. At risk of getting It's not necessary that, well, it's not mandatory that if you have this, you're going to definitely have that. No, it's mm. just a risk factor. That's what it does. That's interesting. I feel like the only risk factor I pass, I personally feel, I don't know about science, I personally feel like the only risk factor I have there is being a black woman, but. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to show you something. This is a okay. picture usually where they're located. Now, about the uterus. I have a very good question when we come to the cervical part, mm-hmm. guys. Now, uh-huh. these ones are the intramural ones, okay? Intramural, okay. You see, the body of the uterus is here. We can have intramural, we can have subserosa. Subserosa is just below the lining of the uterus, okay? okay. Then we have submucosal, then we also have those that are cervical, okay? Can the, even be located right at the cervical opening there. Yeah, I know the the cervical one. But wait, like when you have a cervical <laughs> fibroid, can is sex painful? Because yes, it's, it's very painful. Yeah, it's very a possible symptom. Yeah. One of the causes of painful sex is actually 
the fibroids and also if it's located in your near your cervix mm. it's a, a cervical fibroid of course sometimes you see a bit of bleeding and spotting and it would be quite painful yep i thought so guys by the the time <laughs> paul <laughs> saw the one that was cervical on me i i did ask him so um maybe we'll <laughs> Will orgasm stop me? They won't. Okay, at least they relieve the pain. Well, they relieve the pain. <laughs> you know, they do. Let's. <laughs> that's a different conversation. <laughs> you see, so then you see, of course, when you come into, for example, to the hospital, usually, mm-hmm. of course, either you're having heavy bleeding or so we have to look at your full blood count but the most I believe for me what has assisted me in diagnosing most of this is the imaging ultrasound scans that's why we encourage quite a number of women do that routine checkup go and see your guy go and see your doctor have it get checked out the earlier you find most of this better because you can easily mitigate all your options can be given to you and put on the table. Mm. Okay. How often do, would you recommend seeing a gynecologist for women? Like once a year, twice a year? No, once a year is adequate if you're a healthy adult. Okay? Once a year is usually adequate. That's at least every six months. Okay. Okay? But depending on your requirements and needs, you can actually see more frequently. But once a year is usually adequate. Too many things there, too many. By the way, guys, this is literally, this is the way Paul and I are every time we're in hospital. And I'm like, are you sure this is not because of this? So every time I hear this information from him, it's like news to me. I'm receiving it afresh. Wow. Okay. Also, one other thing that I want to talk about. For example, if you're pregnant, there's certain things that you are. And you have fibroids, yeah, certain risks that you are at. You could have bleeding during pregnancy. You could easily have miscarriages. Uh, the major cause of uh, infertility usually depends on the location. It actually, if it is located, for example, in the intramural or subserosum, where the egg that has been fertilized is supposed to be implanted, remember it is cutting off the supply. Mm. So there will be a failure of implantation. So that is what actually usually predisposes you to infertility. Because if they have taken over most of the uterus, that means the growing fetus will not have a location Mm. to implant. And in such instances, we'll find these kinds of rare uh, implantations, for example, closer to the cervix, closer to the fallopian tube, Okay, because mm. that is where it can actually you get blood supply. But that is risky because if it is closer to the cervix, there is a chance of miscarriage as it yeah. grows, or you are at risk of, uh, we call it, uh, abruptual placenta. Then also, where the placenta will implant itself, if the placenta is implanted over uh, the opening of the cervix, that is called a previa, placenta previa. So it is risky for you as the mother. And if it is implanted closer to the fallopian tubes, there is also a risk of anectopic. Oh. Yes. So 
those are some of the risks that come yes. with it. But yeah, you can actually have fibroids and have a normal pregnancy. Pregnancy. But can you have like a natural birth? Yes, you can. So why is it that for me I can't have natural birth? Like I don't even, <laughs> I'm not saying it in a bad way. But it depends on the location. Basically, it's all about the location, location. of where the fibroids are. That is the most important factor that we consider in this case. Okay, if you're having, for example, it has taken over your intramural, the upper part of your uterus, the yeah. frontal part of your uterus, it, there's a big fibroid there. The baby will not implant there. So it will implant towards the opening. The opening. Yes. Now, if you are having what we call a placenta previa, that one is definite. You're not going to push. What's a placenta previa? Where the placenta is covering the opening of the cervix. Because okay. remember, the baby has implanted somewhere the, else. Yeah. So the placenta also has to find a place where it will implant. Because remember, the baby's nutrients and everything is coming from the placenta. Mm. So if it is towards that side, depending on what grade it is, it is usually a definite indication of a cesarean. But if your fibroids are in the walls, basically the body, and it's not covering the opening that the baby has implanted in a normal place, you can usually push. Yes. In my case, it's like, you remember last time when I checked, it was two fibroids that were big mm. by the cervix, one behind the other. What are my chances of having a normal birth? I can't speak okay, not chances. about that. Okay, yes. But you see, but the thing is, the location, if it's closer to the cervix, a normal delivery is usually unlikely. It's usually unlikely. Yes, me, I'm just worried about looking good in the bikini, but that's, that's, that's those are actually no, things. Can never know that someone has even had a scar. I know, yes. but either <laughs> so, way, ah, it is. Yes. Mm. So yeah, that's just some bit about fibroids. And so, so if someone um goes for checkup and then they find out they have fibroids, what would be like, what options of treatment would they give them? Because personally, I. Have I'm, I'm going to try and start these options mm-hmm. clinically, but what options would they give them? You see, we usually prefer the conservative method. Conservative, we observe, we do these routine scans to see whether it is increasing in size, whether you develop other fibroids. That is what we usually do. And in instances where you're having heavy bleeding or heavy masses, we give you some non-steroid anti-inflammatories like we've been doing. And then we also Which give you some tablets that. that reduce the bleeding, the uh, anti-fibrinolytic drugs. That's what we usually do. But of course, we, once someone starts having symptoms that are actually not being able to be managed in a conservative way, that is when we suggest the surgical Bit. options. Now, the surgical options, you, you have quite a number of things to consider. Mm. One. If we are going to do yeah. surgery, are we doing a hysterectomy? Hysterectomy is the absolute cure. But you see, a hysterectomy also comes with the risk of not being able to give birth. So that is something that we usually recommend for people who have already given birth, but they're having these symptoms and they're comfortable with the number of children they have that they can opt to have a 
to do hysterectomy. But then for people who are actually, we call them the reproductive age, we may consider laparoscopic surgeries to just take out the specific fibroids itself. But the thing with that is, there is no definite guarantee that we'll be able to take out all of them. We can take out those that we can, but there is no chance, no chance that, that we are going to take, take all of them really out. And then another thing is, there is no chance of guaranteeing that others will not develop in that particular place. So, yes. So, conservative is usually medical with just continuous monitoring. Yeah. Then, the other, other option is usually surgery. Now, hysterectomy, like I said, is definitive. Then, now, myomectomy is what we call removal of mm -hmm. the independent. Now, for myomectomy, we can either do it laparoscopically we can actually open the abdomen, but that, that one is not being opted for nowadays. Laparotomy is mm. not being opted for nowadays because laparoscopy, shorter healing time, lesser scars, and also the symptoms can be really quite better. Then there is also cutting off the arteries that supply blood to those particular fibroids. So how does that work? I'm, I'm <laughs> but you see, that one is now... It's more of a radiologic technique. Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's minimal invasive, but it's to do with interventional radiology. What I'm telling you, I'm trying to specialize yeah. in that kind of thing. So, ah. it's but what they do is a block of the blood supply to that particular fibroid. Now, when something is not getting blood supply, what does it have? What happens? It atrophies. It dies. That mm. becomes, yeah. That's what usually happens. I'm thinking of opting for that because <laughs> I'm like, that's a better option than. But, yeah. Okay, okay. All my old ladies, all the options have been tabled. All the options. So you can either choose to do a conservative thing, which we usually recommend for most people, but there's also instances where you can go. So you can opt for surgery, depending on your symptoms. You know, the only coolest thing about opting for surgery mm. sometimes, especially when they, I always fail to pronounce that thingy where they take out the whole uterus. What's that name just gives me a hard time. What do they call it? When they remove mm. the whole uterus, mm. it is total abdominal hysterectomy. Hysterectomy. Yes. If there's a hysterectomy, mm -hmm. are there chances of you getting a transplant of another healthy uterus? Right now, okay, it was only one successful healthy uterus yeah. that was transplanted. From okay, from the data that I've been able to read, most countries have laws against transplantations of the uterus. Mm -hmm. okay, things that, but then you see the ability of that uterus to be able to function. The same way yours has been functioned. Your body, because see, when you're transplanting tissue, it has to be a 100% match. Because rejection in this case it means another oh, <laughs> You see, that's why you see, it's just because you know, these are organs that are usually sensitive, so there's a lot of legal go back and forth yeah. here and there. 
So for now, I haven't heard of any particular, and especially in Uganda. None. None. I love this. Well, um, Dr. Paul, do you want to add anything else? Just ask any question. <laughs> oh my goodness! I like, I feel like every time, yeah, every time you you talk of these things, I'm like, okay, now I understand my options. Now I understand this, but it's still scary. Uh, for now, I'm still I'm mind blown with all this information. It's too much. No, it's not too much. No, it's not too much. It's just like hearing it every time over and over again. You're like, oh. This was my option. Yeah, but you see, the thing is, uh, if you get to know Ali, you can always table all your options and then you decide on which one works best for you. You've been hearing about people who tell you that they have these herbal juices. Which kind of worked? <laughs> you, you, you worshipped, you don't agree with them, but they have worked. They have worked. Well, <laughs> Not I, the herbal juices. Okay, how about some? Yes. You see, most of the, I won't say that they don't necessarily work. No, because I haven't done research into oh, yes. them. No, that's to be honest. Of course, sometimes they may relieve your symptoms, but you see, it's your mind that responds. If I gave you something and I told you, ah, this is a cure for this, and you took it, your mind processes it as a cure. So your symptoms tend to be relieved, but doesn't totally remove. Hmm. So, there is the psychosocial emotional <laughs> thing about those things they keep on saying are cures, but I think it's a fraud kind of thing. It's fraudulent. Although, although we will admit, you won't admit, I will admit the dieting, the dieting does help change and reduce a few things. Yeah, it does. Okay. That, that one does help to be honest. So, uh, so you, the one thing I want to understand is how is is it helpful for someone like if they are like ten days to their period or five days to their period, is it helpful and healthy for them to just eat food that will help like with the hormonal balance and all that stuff? You see, the thing is. Your hormonal balance is not affected by your diet. Mm. That is a cycle that is controlled in the brain mm. in order for the cycle to go on. Okay? But you see, your emotional well-being at a particular time can also affect your status. Your symptoms can actually be exacerbated by your emotional status. Oh, just like they said, if you're stressed out, um, everything is accelerating. But see, I'm not going to say you're going to eat this and it will affect your hormonal balance, your hormonal level. Not necessarily. Okay. Mm. For me, when I, when I drink, like, but, but Paul, let me tell you something. When I drink beetroot, okay, before my period, it's so peaceful. It's not as painful. When I drink tamarind, that has magnesium and iron. Okay, when I drink things that have magnesium and iron, it's like softer on my body during that period than it is. It's, it's not, I know you're going to say it's not healing, it's not healing, but it's softer. The symptoms. Are not as bad. The 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 muscle spasms that I get are not as bad. But now I get I hate those ones. Uh, the the cramping is not as bad. Bring that the cramping. Eh, we need to talk about cramps. Literally. 
So, so what happens is your uterus has to contract to separate that endometrial layer, that layer that had prepared itself for this fertilized egg. So by it contracting suddenly that causes the separation. That is what some people it is worse and some people it is actually mild. But that is what usually causes the cramping. So basically your uterus is mad at you for not giving it a child. If you put if, it if, if I, I, I put it that way. Yeah, yeah. If you Lady, it, it has, in order for you to actually lead, that layer has to separate. Mm. Okay? That mm. layer that prepared itself has to separate from oh. the uterine wall. So, in order for that to happen, it cramps up. Even, I'll give you an example. Even after delivery, if you deliver, you, there is a point when your uterus will start contracting in order for the placenta to separate from the whole of the uterus. Mm. That is just a physiological response. Oh. Okay. In instances where you haven't, there is no fertilized egg that has been implanted. So, so that happens. So what's the correlation between like, why, now in my case, why mm. is it that the cramping can intensify when I say getting fibroids and when I got them, rather than before because when I didn't have fibroids I was like a ninja never have any of these pains or anything you see fibroids are smooth muscle tumors mm -hmm. you know, your is made of smooth muscle and now these are benign tumors of that smooth muscle mm -hmm. so it is taking over the normal tissue that is supposed to be of your uterus so it affects the ability of your uterus to easily contract and cause you minimal pain okay so if this is my muscle of the hand yeah. and there is a swelling here you see that the ability of me being able to move my hands normally yeah. or my fingers normally will be affected because there is something that is holding up the muscle the transmission of that call it an action potential to allow for full contraction will be limited or reduced now in that instance because now the uterus actually has to work more than it's supposed to work in order for this layer to be separated may cause you some severe symptoms. Damn. I feel like my uterus has been in overdrive. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not necessarily. <laughs> Anyways, oh, um, thank you, Paul. Thank you so much for this episode. Guys, this is not the last time you're going to hear from me. I'm going to keep backing you. Um, we have to let him do things of saving the world while we... <laughs> Guys, I'm going to show, share images of what he showed me earlier. My goodness, fibroids eh? are so nasty. They are like, I, you know, sometimes I'm I hear that. A picture of splitting, uterine swelling, different kinds of swelling. This is a hysterectomy specimen showing. Uterus that has enlarged with fibroids. Now, these are fibroids that are actually subserosis. Uh, you will see them even on the outside, like uh, swelling on the outside of the uterus. Now, in this case, I think if you can see this picture, this one had to be removed. I'm sure it was causing very severe symptoms for 
the patient. Uh, this is a fibroid when you cut it in half. Mm. What it looks like. Guys, this thing it looks like those cuttings. Now, the issue with these cervical ones is they tend, you see, when you to get pregnant, the cervix closes up, mm. and the baby can stay and grow full to term. But with a cervical fibroid, it affects the ability of the uterus to stay closed because now the cervix is no longer able to fully. So many miscarriages. It's, 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 it's interesting how like we are the biggest population in the world, obviously, co compared to men, and we have so many things that just em encompass our bodies. Look at just, this is just fibroids, and then it affects so many other areas in our lives, the periods, the mind, hormones. Even five may be too high. Too high. One percent. Less than one percent. Zero point five. Less than zero point five. Zero point one to zero point five percent, approximately. So people should. So someone texted me and said, "Oh, so that does that mean it has a chance of turning into cervical cancer?" And I was like, "No. no why would do I would die of cervical cancer?" <laughs> I was like, "You know, cancer. people have so many misconceptions around the whole topic, and then." It's just interesting, anyways. And then just even people hearing, oh, fibroids are taking you to hospital, they're like, what? Because most people, I, I remember having a friend whose sister used to go to hospital every month, and I wish they had known to check and see what was the problem. They just used to say, oh, school is sick, she's, she's on a drip. I wish they had known. Yeah, you see, the thing about fibroids, why would tend to encourage you to always come back for review. See, they have an ability to increase in size. They mm. have the ability to also decrease in size. size. That is one thing. And then they also have abilities to grow in different places. Why we prefer to monitor, especially if you're in reproductive age, is to be able to give you your options before it gets worse. Millennial women, that means for us who are first um, making money. <laughs> Let's get our options <laughs> sorted out quickly. <laughs> oh my goodness. Anyways, thank you so much for, for this conversation. Guys, Welcome. thank you so much for tuning for 
actually listening to this podcast and we will be coming back to Dr. Paul when we have more questions because you guys, you guys, <laughs> this is Dr. Paul. Look, he will, he will help us. Doctors, that's the they are very willing to help people, by the way, and treat us. So thank you. Thank you, Paul. Thank you so much, by the way. This was... I, I know sometimes when I come in and I'm in pain, I don't want to listen to it, but now I'm not in pain. And I'm listening. <laughs> Guys, I argue with Dr. Paul. Like, he'll give me medication and I'll say no. It causes me more pain than anything. So it's a back and forth conversation with him. 